This podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome to The Stand with Amy Dunphy. Now, Germany is always of immense interest to those of us in Europe and what's happening in Germany After the departure of Angela Merkel, Chancellor for 16 years and a highly respected figure in Europe, indeed internationally, there was in place her party, the CDU, the Christian Democratic Union, lost power in the subsequent election and a new coalition was formed, the SPD, the Green Party and the FDP. And there is change, it appears, in Germany It's causing dismay. It is to do, it appears, with the rise of a far-right party, the Alternatives for Germany, the AFD. They've been around for some time now. But it is suggested that they may be the second most popular party in the country, according to polls. And we're joined now by John Kampfner, one of Britain's most distinguished journalists. His latest book was about Germany, why the Germans do it better. Notes from a grown-up country, I think, was the subtitle. And John is in Berlin, where he is researching his next book, which will be about Berlin. John, you're very good to join us today. There's a fascinating story broke in Germany about Friedrich Merz, who's the leader of the German opposition party, Angela Merkel's old party, who, according to reports, should be basking in sky-high approval ratings and positioning himself as the country's chancellor-in-waiting, in theory, it says, at least. But he is watching, it is said, in disbelief, as voters dissatisfied with Olaf Scholz's government, this is the three-party coalition, including the Greens, and they're now, instead of plumping for the CDU, they appear to be to use this journalist's word plumping for the AFD. How much unrest is there? Why? And the rise of the AFD would always have to be a concern, would it? Well, uh, hi there, Eamon. Uh, A multiplicity of questions um, that you have posed that I (laughs) I will do my best to answer. So first of all, and at the root of it is the AFD. Now, when they were formed uh, a dozen or so years ago, originally as an anti-European party, that didn't go very well. 
Um, then they decided to go on anti-migration. And this was during this huge wave in 2015 yes. when Angela Merkel let in a million people, some of the world's most destitute from Iraq, Syria, and elsewhere, a process that hugely benefited the AFD, obviously the grievance vote. Um, and it did so dramatically, but also only briefly. Um because the migration story, by and large, has been, and some Germans disagree with this, but in my view, has been, by and large, a, a pretty good success. Uh, so many of the migrants have been absorbed into the workforce, and it's a, and it's a depleting workforce with an aging population yes. and a low birth rate, and have done pretty well. The assimilation process has gone pretty well. Of course, um, there are difficult areas and difficult stories, and particularly in the former communist East, grievances, which are wide-ranging. They're not just about migration. They're just a whole classic culture war stuff. Um, and so the AFD has always found a more welcome home in the East. But, so the AFD did very well around that period, 2015, 16, 17. Um, at one point, it was the main opposition party in the Bundestag in the German parliament during the Grand Coalition days, the last parliament of Angela Merkel. Then it sort of went away. Uh, it sort of disappeared because the migration thing quietened down. It tried to revive itself as a sort of anti-vaxxer, classic COVID stuff. Got a few votes, but didn't seem to do so well. But now it is absolutely surging again. Latest polls up to 18, 19%, which in Germany is a big number. If yeah. you think that you can get into government in, in the early 20s quite happily, you can lead a government by about 23, 24, 25%, which is what Olaf Scholz's Social Democrats have got. However, there's a huge however. All the main parties, both at national level and at regional level, have always said, and for the moment it's holding, that they will never go into any form of coalition with the AFD. So you've got this huge, great um, repository of votes, you've got this huge, great hole, but nobody is is talking to them and you know there's a wider european phenomenon here there's a wider yes uh, global phenomenon yes. which is parties of the mainstream center right think of the republicans in the us think of the conservatives in the uk or whatever sort of morph or become a sort of internal coalition between perfectly respectable conservatism yes. and sort of alt-right um politics stroke far-right politics Either they stay within that mainstream, they sort of entryist, they sort of take over that mainstream party, or as is may well be the case in Spain at the end of July, the mainstream PP, the, the Conservative Party there, could well jump into bed with Vox, the far right. Yes. And you've got Georgia Maloney in Italy, you've got the perpetual threat of Marine Le Pen in France. So this is partly a German phenomenon. And Finland is, also yeah. have a far right party now in their coalition. And of course, Sweden has taken a dramatic swing to the right as well. Which is not to mention, of course, Hungary is basically yes. Yes. Uh, run by uh, a, um, a far-right populist, Viktor yes. Orban. Uh, Poland, absolutely, and they're trying to gerrymander the constitution. Uh, you know, these are very difficult times. But um, compounding that in Germany, and again, it's a, it's, it's a classic thing. Uh, the guy you mentioned at the top of your introduction, Friedrich Merz, who took over from Merkel in charge of the CDU, and she didn't want him. Uh, he sort of slipped in uh, ahead of, of other candidates. Is a pretty sort of unimpressive. He's sort of arrogant. 
you sort of uh, he he comes from a business background. He hasn't got enormous amounts of empathy, and Germans are not really taking to him. And I noted a news story this morning when I was preparing for our conversation, John, saying that house prices in Germany dropped by six percent. Is that a significant news story? No, not particularly, because Germans don't own many houses. Right. Um, Germans and the, the the it's really weird and interesting. This is a sort of parlor game. Which country in Europe has the highest percentage of home ownership? And you won't be able to answer this, Eamon, but I'll give you a go. <laughs> uh, Ireland? <laughs> nope. Romania. Really? Would wow. you? Would you believe? It? And the two yeah. lowest, would you believe it, are Germany and Switzerland, right? Uh, with Austria close by. And these are countries where this whole question of of property as asset yes. is just not, I mean, of course, you know, a lot of people do, but people do not obsess about house prices. Now, uh, so therefore, the drop, of course, if you own a house, you don't want the value of it to go down, but it's not that sort of staple of conversation as it is uh, in other countries such as Ireland and, and Britain. But, um, and the German economy is, is suffering, as, as they all are, Compared to to my country, the island, as the Germans call it, Britain, <laughs> and you know the half. You're suffering, all right. <laughs> you know, I mean, that is that's what you call you know, everything is relative. But the German economy is 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 not doing well. The country is feeling grouchy. But you know, Germany has a predisposition. This is one of the things I always sort of find both bewildering, amusing, and also intensely frustrating about this country that I otherwise have a great affection for. They cannot stop complaining about their lot, even yes. when their lot compared to others is a hell of a lot better. When we see the geopolitical changes, the possibility, for example, that Donald Trump or indeed Ron DeSantis could be president in the autumn of next year, when we see Putin's aggression, when we watch China stalking Taiwan and being supported by Iran, South Africa, for example... Is there something in your view, John, and you have vast experience going back to your days as chief correspondent in the old Soviet Union, when the breakup of the Soviet Union, observing all of that, is there something now fundamentally changing and hardening and polarizing that is deeply threatening to what we might call the West and the lawful conduct of government as we've known it. It's interesting. I was at a conference just over a week ago, just near Frankfurt, and there were Brits and Americans, Germans, and, and a few others. And it really depends on whether you regard the glass as half empty or half full. Um, and by that, I'm referring back to the period of Trump winning in 2016 yes. and Brexit and the prospect of Le Pen possibly winning those first those French elections, um, and then you fast forward to February 2022, Putin invades Ukraine. Everybody, uh, a lot of countries, completely in denial about the Putin threat, not least Germany, um, and people just assumed he would. Uh, the Ukrainians would roll over, he would walk into Kiev, he would install a puppet government, and Russia would have its sort of wider Soviet space back again. So compared to those two 
truly terrible scenarios, Eamon, we, the glass is half full. In, in other yes. words, these have not happened. It, well, I mean, the, the populist wave happened, but, you know, democracy is not in great shape, but it keeps on resisting. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Is there a trend? That's a troubling question. Are we trending in a certain way in Europe, in the United States of America as well, in that what might be called Blairite, Clintonite, triangulation people, what well, well, I mean, progressives, are, 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 have, have angered and lost touch with ordinary people? Well, I mean, it's, I, I certainly am no soothsayer and I couldn't predict the, the future, but I think what is absolutely clear beyond peradventure is the millennium era hyper globalized um uh if you want to call it centrist uh global economy um running the shop of um intertwined supply chains sort of davos man um approach to politics that is dead and buried angela merkel for example and her endeavors over her 16 years to build relationships with Russia and with China through trade principally. Yeah. How's that going? Yeah, well, that, uh, the German phrase Wandel durch Handel, which means change through yes. trade, was a product of this naivety, yes. um, which everybody sort of felt, you know, the end of history thesis of the early 1990s, Western liberal democracy and free market capitalism had won. They were in, they were interchangeable you couldn't have one without the other so the theory went and all other forms um sort of take a bow and leave leave the stage because we are here to stay now when 
you know, whether that was ever the case, certainly, and you can choose your date, was it 9-11? Was it the Iraq war? Was it the financial crash of 2007-8? It certainly was Putin's first invasion of Ukraine, 2014. These are sort of history essay questions for the future. Yes. When did that era end? And that, abs- that era has absolutely ended, that sort of sense that we are the victors. But you, I think it's important to differentiate between China and Russia. Um, they're, they're, they're too often lumped yes. together. Yes. Now, Russia is an acute threat. It is a nuclear power. It is a dangerous power. Uh, it is a deeply unpleasant uh, government uh, and a kleptocracy and a security state. Um, it wielded influence over Europe and others through raw materials, particularly oil and gas. Uh, mercifully, that is now over that transformation happened very quickly but russia has nothing to offer the world yes there is i mean culturally obviously it's uh, you know, uh, a great cultural history but in terms of present day there is no russian model that people are scrambling to no. embrace or emulate or even partner everybody sees it for what it is and it is a country that will need to be managed and dealt with yes china is completely different yes, indeed. in that you know, from America to Germany and all countries in between, we are all struggling to work out how do we deal with this competitor rival threat on the one side, and it is, and uh, we could go through all the issues of tension and the potential for invading Taiwan, what, what China has done to the Uyghurs, uh, it's a crushing of protest in Hong Kong, oh, yes. uh, South, uh, South China Sea, um, all of that is deeply, deeply, um, the dangers posed by China are far greater. And yet, at the same time, all of our economies are deeply intertwined with China's. Yes. Germany's entire auto industry and other big companies, you know, derive, you know, the, the Germany's auto industries, 40% profits come from China. And uh, so the idea, so how do you then manage this apparent dichotomy between economic dependence and also potential alongside rivalry yes. and danger. I mean, uh, the new Chinese premier was in Berlin earlier this week um, trying to cuddle up to the Germans. The Germans want to be friendly with him because they they need uh, that, um, uh, that pull with China. On the other hand, they are very conscious of what the Americans think of all of this. They're looking over their shoulder the whole time. And it's going to be a dance, and it's going to be a very difficult dance, but it's an absolutely central one in a way that Russia is just simply an irritant. Yes, and there is a big debate in this country also, and it boiled over this week when the president lashed out our foreign minister and Tonished, that's Deputy Prime Minister, former Taoiseach, Michal Martin, has convened a conference on the question of neutrality and Ireland, where how it should position itself in the times ahead. And we are clinging as a nation to this idea of neutrality. It is a very polarizing issue here at the moment. My own view is that in the world, and I'd be interested in your view of this, John, just as as someone who is, as it were, not intellectually or even emotionally engaged in it. Can a nation like Ireland cling to what has always been there from the foundation of the state, the concept of neutrality, which was maintained even throughout 
the Second World War, although it was positive neutrality in that we helped Britain in many ways with weather forecasts and things. Mm. Is there a place for that kind of neutrality in your view? I put it privately to one of our guests earlier this week, and he burst out laughing. He's a British, very experienced British journalist, Ian Williams. And is that concept of neutrality, the Swedes, for example, were determinedly neutral, but they've abandoned it. Is it, in your view, a realistic and practical position to hold? Well, first of all, I'm, you know, as a Brit, and, and but there's so much baggage with being a Brit and... You know, uh, Not wagging for me a fi- or our you know, wagging generally. a finger, w- wagging a finger. Although I'm half German now, so that probably gives me a uh, <laughs> guess out. Of course. Yeah. Um, you know, wagging a finger at the Irish is something that you do um, carefully uh, and reluctantly. Um, I feel absolutely adamant that it is a, it is an abrogation of responsibility. Um, what may yes. have pertained in the past absolutely does not pertain now. Yes. Um, I've just spent uh, a decent chunk of time in Austria, which is um, also politically neutral. Um, it's different in that it absolutely provides discreet succor to uh, Russia. Its um, major bank, Raiffeisen Bank, is completely really? in hock um, with Russia. There's all kinds of the former foreign minister of Austria, um, a woman uh, invited Putin to her wedding and danced uh, with him. Uh, Austria is neutral, and it is also utterly disgraceful when it comes to its uh, Russia politics. When, Forgive my when, ignorance. Are they members of the EU? They are members of the EU, oh absolutely, which does not preclude. And now, um, and when Zelensky uh, addressed the Austrian Parliament by by uh, by screen. Um, the far right party um, did an ostentatious protest uh, in the in the uh, in the chamber, and the social democrats hear this. Half of them didn't turn up. They were clearly it was more important for them to wash their hair or yes. you know go go to see their yes. optician or something that day. Um, it, so Austria's politics is outrageous and it's infuriating. Now Ireland is not in that place, no, of course and not, it is no. neutral for different reasons, and it's geographically obviously in a very different part of of Europe. Yes. But um, you know, it's not for me to say. It's obviously no, for for the Irish to to work out their own politics. But uh, it's, you know, it's and helpful I, though because our president cited Austria, Austria and Malta. He didn't mention Sweden. Or Finland, who have joined, well, joined, well, yeah, who are no, who are no longer, of course, you know, no. who are absolutely at the Quite. at the forefront of, of of all of this. Now, you know, I mean, ultimately, you know, you do have to, you know, this is an existential challenge, um, and you are either pro liberal democracy. You don't even need to call it Western, um, or you're not. And now a lot of countries in the global south, or you know, pivot states as they're called, are taking uh, what you might call uh, a hedged, uh, and uh, the, the term currently being used is um, o- omni-allegiance. In other words, um, they are yes. deliberately saying to the United States, to China, and to a degree with Russia, you know, uh, come and talk to us. We're we're happy to engage. 
Narendra Modi, who is being absolutely yes. fated at the moment, the Indian uh, Prime Minister yes, uh, in in Washington. Uh, the Turks are doing the same. Uh, Indonesia, South Africa, um, all these countries are absolutely saying we have no allegiance. Uh, we're here to defend our our interests. Now that's fine because they come from a very different. Now, obviously, our, our Ireland has its history with Britain, but they come from a very different colonial background and from a very different economic place. And they are literally the third pillar now. These pivot states, uh, and they're all different. It's not like they're all following the same uh, playbook. But if Austria wants to be sorry, if if Ireland wants to be considered like them, well, that's fine. But if it also wants to be regarded as part of, you know, the Western, the democratic family, then, you know, I, I cannot see how that can be reconciled yes. with um, neutrality. It very much wants to be part of the European Union. Just let me ask you, and you're very good to join us and to talk about such a wide range of unscripted topics. The relationship since the EU was formed, really, between France and Germany has been fundamental to the European Union. What is the state of that relationship post-Angela Merkel with Germany itself still apparently searching for an ide- a new identity, a post-Merkel, as it were, position? What is the relationship between Schultz, for example, and our friend in the Elysee Palace? Um, the... Well, it's interesting. Since Brexit, I mean, it used to be the triangle, the, the, the French, the Germans, and the Brits. Um, and then people thought, well, with the Brits gone, it'd just be the French and the Germans. But this has now morphed into a new triangle of the French, the Germans, and the Poles. And mm-hmm. Poland is set to have the largest army, armed forces, uh, in the continent of Europe um, by the end of this decade. Its economy... Uh, is uh, um, in terms of GDP per capita is likely to exceed Britain's. Um, And so you have this very interesting new dance with some of the power shifting further to the east. And within that triangle, all three sets of relationships are problematic. The relationship between Poland and Germany is poisonous at the moment. Uh, It's deliberately stirred up by by. By the far, by the right wing law and justice party to garner votes uh, because of uh, po- Poland's terrible history at the hands of the Germans yes, and yes. and the Russians. And the Russians yes. um, Macron has been regarded, and France in general, as haughty towards Eastern Europe. He made a speech uh, a few weeks ago in Bratislava, the Slovak capital, which was an attempt to reset relations with Central and Eastern Europe, which went down very well. So we'll see if those relations improve. And the French-German relationship, which has always been the pivot, um, has been rocky. Uh, there was a, a joint cabinet session uh, six months or so ago that was uh, cancelled or rather postponed because relations were so poor between Macron and Schultz. They are getting better. There's no great meeting of, of minds. They're never going to love each other, but they can do business. And Institutionally, France and Germany need each other like never before. And the AFD is there, likely or unlikely, to prosper? Um, again, it's hard to predict. The 
One of the problems that Germany is facing is that this three-party coalition is very fractious. And to have to get three parties together, you need a strong bit of glue. And Olaf Scholz is not that. He's a deeply, he's, he's such a curious person. He is a machine politician who's quite good at deconstructing problems and finding solutions. But he has the square root of minus one when it comes to charisma. He's 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 completely yep. uh, a cold fish, and I don't think it's deliberate. I just think it's his his character, and that means everybody else around him, the Greens and the Liberals, are kind of jockeying, and they've got more charismatic leaders, and they're always fighting. Anyway, long story short, the coalition is not in great odor. They're bickering among themselves. The CDU we mentioned under this guy Friedrich Merz is uh, not in. It should be absolutely cleaning up um, because the unpopularity of the three ruling parties and the usual electoral cycle is doing okay, but it could be doing a hell of a lot better. And as you said in your introduction, some of its votes, well, a lot of its votes are hemorrhaging to the AFD. How much of that will stay when we're still two years out from the next federal elections in Germany? That's a long time. Okay, John, we're very grateful to you always for joining us and John's book Why the Germans Do It Better is still a wonderful read and an informed one and his next book will be from Berlin and if we learn nothing else this morning is that our preoccupation with owning houses which we share with British may not necessarily be the way (laughs) forward. Thank you very much John Kampfner and good luck with your work in Berlin. We're grateful to John to all of you for listening that's all we have time for now We'll talk to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.